You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll unpack the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Well, hey there. I would love to welcome everyone to Legally Blissed Conversations, which is a regular roundtable where we lady lawyers get together and discuss an impactful subject matter that we think can help our audiences navigate life and law. My name is Susie Hickson, and I'm a trademark attorney, and I'm the founder of the Legally Blissed community. As self-advocating female attorneys, the members of Legally Blissed challenge the status quo, and we work to define success on our own terms. We come together as a community to support and empower each other as we break barriers and pave the way for future generations of female advocates. We're trailblazers and we're game changers, and we use our voice and our expertise to create a more equitable world. We are unstoppable and unwavering in our pursuit of excellence and justice for for all. Today, I would love to welcome Renata Musiel, Christine Vartanian, and Marissa Simmons. So just a little bit about each of these amazing women. Renata is an attorney turned coach who discovered the secret to having it all is simply deciding that you want it. She helps female attorneys feel happy and not just look like they are on paper. Her coaching program helps female attorneys reach their fullest potential at work and at home. Renata is also the the founder of the podcast, Happy Lawyer, where she works to help lawyers feel as good as their resumes look. Marissa is a recovering attorney turned recruiter, recruiter in Atlanta, Georgia. She recruits and places top attorneys with law firms and companies throughout the Southeast. She works with an incredible team of recruiters, and she actually enjoys networking. More importantly, her in her off hours, Marissa is known as Alice and Ryan's mom. And let's meet Christine. She is the founder of Jade House of Style in Newport Beach, California. She is a personal style expert who styles women from head to toe. She has styled her clients for business, everyday life, video shoots, photo show, shoots, and even for the Grammys, and even for me. Christine's formal education is not in the creative arts. She is actually a civil engineer and a lawyer. Her passion is making women feel like a million bucks when it comes to their image. So I wanna welcome all of you ladies again. Thank you all so much for being here and wanting to have this conversation with me today as we talk about this really interesting article I recently came across um, called Negotiating gender roles, gender differences in assertive negotiating are mediated by women's fear of backlash and attenuated when negotiating on behalf of others, which is really interesting. And I will post a link to this article 
Um, the journal article itself, there's actually a charge. Don't you just love that? Like to get the source article, they want to charge us $15. But I want to talk about um, gender roles when it comes to negotiating and um, how we approach this as women. And like, is there, are there any gems of wisdom that we can give to our sisters-in-law who may be negotiating, not just um, on behalf of others, but for themselves, which seems to be kind of where we struggle a little bit more. So um, Marissa, <laughs> I'd love to start with you because you are working with women on a daily basis who are probably negotiating salaries. I would love to know kind of where you see this and how you're helping women navigate this. Yeah, so um, it's interesting you say it that way. I actually tend to negotiate on behalf of my candidates. <laughs> when um, we get to the salary negotiation part of a deal. So um, that I was very unexpected to me actually in the article. One of the things about the article was that um, women tend to not negotiate well on behalf of ourselves, but we negotiate better than anyone else, I think, when it comes to negotiating for other people. Um, so in my world, in the recruiting world, it means use a recruiter, potentially a female recruiter, because we apparently are excellent at negotiating on behalf of other people. Um, I um, have negotiated offers regularly on behalf of candidates. I've never thought about backing down because of a fear on behalf of someone more that I know that we're at the end of the negotiation. There's no more pushing here. Um, so it was really interesting as I was reading the article, the whole to me, everything I kept thinking was, we need to get better at this for ourselves. We need to learn how to do this better. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we just need to have our tribes who can help us with negotiations. Now that's not always gonna be an option um, when you're talking about, especially negotiating on behalf of yourself. Um, if, you're, if you are interviewing for a job on your own, if you're negotiating for anything that affects you personally, I guess it's not, specific to like a um a work negotiation like that you're negotiating on behalf of your your clients um you know whether it's a piece that's being litigated or you're negotiating a deal um we seem to do well with those things we've got to figure out how to either negotiate for ourselves or have someone else there to do it if it's a personal if it's going to impact us personally um which I did not expect I just feel like we need to get better at it for ourselves, but I guess all right. if all else stays the same, that's not a, cho a choice, right? Right. But I, I didn't know. I think it's so fascinating that you actually negotiate on behalf of your clients. And so that is a huge reason for people to work with a recruiter if, if they can, right? Cause I'm sure you're, you're a very ardent uh, negotiator, negotiator for your clients. Right. Renata. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Marissa. I was going to say, it's helpful in the recruiting space. I know I work, I represent the candidate and I also represent the, the company or the firm that's going to hire them. So generally I know my clients well enough to know where their limits might be, or if we can push the boundaries without offending people um, versus if you're going into new negotiation on your own with a potential employer, you don't know them the way someone with a business relationship does. So it provides me insight that really takes away the fear of being um, 
told no or, you know, have the offer ripped out from under because I know where that line is going to be. Hey, Renata, what do you think the basis of the fear is there when it comes to negotiating for ourselves? You do a lot of work with um, mindset. I'm curious if like, what, it, what do you think that process, thought process is um, that's leading to the fear um, self, you know, women have when we're self-advocating? Yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting because like, you know, when I read that article, um, I, I kind of had the same reaction as Marissa and I realized, so I actually just recently went back to practicing law. So I'm coaching and also was negotiating, you know, my own salary yeah. for a recruiter regret a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, there was this weird thing that was happening to me where I had, I literally have coached clients on, you know, getting into the right mindset, working on their thoughts about like how they're thinking about themselves before they're going into a negotiation. And, um, and, and it's so easy for me to do as the person who, you know, if I were to negotiate it for them or to, you know, give that advice. And then when it's yourself, like something like physically happens to you, like in your brain, you're like, oh yeah, but me, it's not going to work. Or I don't know. Um, and, but I think it really, you know, a lot of what I teach and, and coach, uh, uh, my clients about is, you know, just really it's like setting yourself up for success. Like we tend to like, look at the situation. Okay. We're, we're applying for this job. These are the types of skills I need. Um, this is where I'm qualified. This is where I'm maybe not qualified. Right. And so you're, you're kind of, you've got that in your mind. And then when you're going into a potential negotiation or they ask you, okay, well, what are you looking for? Um, we kind of freeze. And, and I think we, we start to, go, our, our minds start to race with all the thoughts that are like, well, yeah, but I'm not good at that. And I don't have this and I don't have right. Like all of those become like highlights. Um, and it's really hard to then say, well, I want, you know, the top of, um, you know, top range of, of a potential salary that you were looking for, or you're worried that they're going to say no. And maybe you really want this job because you're excited or your financial situation is. So a lot of things start to come up, you know, emotionally, personally. Um, and what I really, what I had to do for myself and what I really coach clients on is to kind of, you know, check, check your thoughts around what are, what are you thinking about before you're going into a negotiation? How are you, um, you know, what, and, and that's good thoughts and bad thoughts. Sure. We're like, great. I want this job. I'm qualified. I'm good. But equally uh, as strong, you're going to have thoughts. They're going to say, man, I've been out of work for a really long time. That was my story. Personally, I hadn't worked in the law in almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, that was like a flashing neon sign in my brain. Every time I thought about asking someone for, you know, over six figures, I was like, why would they give someone like that? You know, me like that kind of money. Um, and so, but what I had to do is really work on really instead of instead of thinking those thoughts instead of you know focusing on the negative um and i don't just mean like you know po toxic positivity and just convincing yourself that like i'm worth it but really just kind of neutralizing it bringing yourself to the point uh, of like believing in yourself and understanding that like no you know what i do have the right skills i do have um, the right uh qualifications and you know what i also um have an expectation of the kind of life I want to have, the type of job I want to have. And so what, what can this job or firm bring to me as well? So I think it's just getting curious about like, what is leading your, what, what are the thoughts that are kind of leading your actions a little bit? Does that make sense? 
100%. I think you make a really good point about um, toxic positivity, <laughs> um, right? Because we can sit here and, you know, go into- I'm the best. You're so great. <laughs> right. I think about, I always think about uh, Muhammad Ali, right? When he would say, I am the greatest, which, you know, I guess he was the greatest, but, you know, when we want to use these words to really like, pump ourselves up ahead of time, um, it, you know, it, does that really serve us? And maybe it's better when we're, when we're going into these negotiations, uh, like salary negotiations that we go in with a, a more neutral, uh, mindset. Yeah, absolutely. So Christine, Christine <laughs> works with a lot of women who are professionals and are, I, my guess is you're probably working with women regularly who are kind of maybe transitioning into a career, maybe they are wanting to kind of up-level um, their own brand. Do you see women, like, have you, are women discussing this issue with you, Christine, about uh, like what it's like for them to go into the negotiation room, either for themselves or for others? Well, I do work with a lot of women and I do focus on up-leveling their confidence from a very interesting and, and different angle. And that is about really up-leveling the way they show up in business or really in a, you know, whether they're in business on virtually like in Zoom or in the outside world, that traditional office. But I just want to kind of backtrack a little bit just in response to some of these really important yes. issues that have come up um, is just to reflect a little bit on my own experience as a lawyer many years ago. I don't have a practice in quite some time now, um, <laughs> as you know. But what I found is so interesting because I left the law a long time ago. And people always say, wow, you you went to law school, you did all that work, and then you decided not to practice. And they would say, did you not like it? What's the, you know, what was it? And I, you know, and the thing is, like, I was never a natural born attorney. I, I did it because it was my classical training. I went to law school, you know, but people ask me, was there anything I liked about about the legal field? And I said, the one thing I loved about being a lawyer was negotiation. That was my actual strength, which is so interesting because if I meet people all the time, we're like, well, you don't look like a typical attorney. I know you made some posts and comments about that. And I'm not sure exactly what a typical attorney looks like, but I think they, they look for somebody who's fierce and mean and a bulldog and angry and maybe just coming at you for however they can. But I don't see lawyering that way. I see... I see a really good lawyer as somebody who takes on their clients and puts them their weight, the weight of their uh, problem on their shoulders and helps them walk through it. And as women, I feel we are the best candidates for that. So I'll go back to negotiating. I happened when I was in the legal field to have an amazing, amazing mentor and attorney boss. He was a male attorney. He was a bulldog. He was a little bit crazy, like a Tasmanian devil. He'd walk in and bellow out orders. And everybody thought he was very um, disruptive. <laughs> but <laughs> the truth was that he was just, he's a guy who operated from gut, from gut instinct. Mm -hmm. And he negotiated with his gut. And that's how I was trained. I was trained by him to negotiate mm -hmm. um, by gut. And I would walk in because I was in an area of the law that was very male dominated. It was, I was a, I was an attorney, but I was an engineer. And so I could, I practiced in the construction defect industry. And I will tell you, there was like, I don't know, maybe 10% women in that industry. And I walk into a room of men and I was in my twenties back then. I, they were silver hair, 
like experts, engineers, structural engineers, and they'd be all sitting around this big table. And those cases were big cases. And they would be, you know, 50 of them. And here I am, my 20 something year old, I walk in and they did not know that they, they would underestimate me because I was a woman, young woman attorney. Um, but I was like, well, I'm just going to show them my work. Right. And so my boss had taught me that you go in and you stick to your guns and you don't worry about offending. You just ask for what you want. And I feel very fortunate. Maybe it wasn't the experience of many women attorneys in my generation or era, even now, but I had an, I had a boss who was, he was, he was like, like I said, Tasmanian devil, but he really valued women and he really valued and respected women. And he knew that I could do anything I wanted to do when I, when I really um, just didn't back down and he taught me not to back down. And he told me to ask for big audacious things. And that's (laughs) how I really was trained. And that's how I conducted myself. I don't know. That doesn't really answer any direct questions, but um, I just wanted to put that out there because I know I haven't been practicing in the legal field, but that's how I approach everything when it comes to negotiation. Don't worry about offending, say what you want. Don't back down unless you think you're being unreasonable and those are should basically my mantras when it comes to negotiating. I feel like that should be the the takeaway advice for this um, whole panel is, you know, ask for big audacious things because that's here's the thing. Like, what's what could happen? I mean, they say no, then you say okay, and then you ask for something different or you modify or you know. And I think I, I'm not. I don't know what it is exactly. Like there is some fear that like we are not allowed. We shouldn't ask for those things. We should keep ourselves small, right? Like there's so many layers to this. I think just societally and like depending how you're raised, you know, if we didn't have an amazing mentor, like Christine happened to have, maybe that wasn't encouraged in us based on how we were raised or whatever, you know? So I love that so much. Cause I think that that's really what it boils down to is like, ask for what you want, whether it's monetary, whether it's flexibility in your time, whatever. I think that, that we need to be doing more of that. So I love that you said that. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just, I, I think that, you know, it comes from this, 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 you know, and I am, I love women, I love men, and I am not like, you know, I am not into toxic positivity. I try to like stand the line to be even handed, right? But I think that as women, we, we are perceived in a way, if we're being assertive, we're perceived as witches. Whereas men, when they are, when they are being assertive, they're just tough, good leaders leaders. So that has been a stereotype, but you know, um, I think as women, we have the power to overcome that just by our mindset alone and the way we approach things, not to back down, to act like we are tough and, and, you know, they can, they'll form their opinion, but then you just kind of have to show them. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. 
If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash bliss for an exclusive introduction. I think also too, um, both both of you have brought up the way women think about things and how it's different. Um, we, no one said specifically how it's different from men, but Renata, how you were saying that we think about all the various things on a on a you know on a, a job checklist in terms of what the responsibilities are and what the qualifications are, and then women from there start breaking down what they have and what they don't have. Men are just like, sounds great, sign me up. Right. To them, it's like, here's the job. I can fill up the whole pot, regardless of my pros and cons. I can just do the job in this pot. Right. Mm -hmm. Pay me for that. Our thinking is, well, I can totally do it, but I don't necessarily bring this to the table. I haven't done that before, but I'm pretty sure I can do it. Like it's, it's still the same pot. It's still the same job. We're still filling up the same bucket. So whether you're negotiating for, you know, the the quality of life things or the salary things, it's about filling up that particular bucket. If you're going to check those boxes, regardless of how you do it or the experiences you bring with you to be able to do things, that's not the part really that matters when you're talking about the compensation or what you want out of it. If you're going to give them what they want, right, regardless of how you do it. And if you get to the point of an offer, it's because they're asking you to do it your way because they like you the best for it. So now think about what is that pot worth? What can I get for that regardless of the vessel it comes in, male, female, or whatever else you may be bringing? Um, you know, again, taking yourself out of it a little bit to, you know, what are their expectations? If I can meet them, then what are my expectations from them? Can they meet my expectations? So we kind of have to approach thinking differently. We kind of have to, like Christine would say, kind of just keep kicking the door down so that people can, people will see us differently too and not think that we're being bitches, excuse my French, because we're being assertive. It's not the same. Um, and the more men mostly get used to that, the more it will be easier for us. But we're in the era now where we have to make them used to it. You know, the women before us didn't, they lived with it. The women after us will benefit from what we're doing, but we're in the hard place now of forcing that on a very male dominated profession and a, you know, male heavy world. I think it's interesting that you, what you said a second ago, Marissa, about how we're looking at like in the pot and we're trying to decide, um, we're, we're considering um, do I have what they want, right? The, the the firm, but we're not asking, are they going to be able to fulfill what I want? Why am I not asking the questions? Like, am I going to be able to get paid time off? What does maternity leave look like? What do bonuses look like, right? We're not asking, we're not asking for what we want. We're not self-advocating. I'm curious and I think Renata did touch on this a little bit, but why are we not asking for what we want? Why do we not do this? Is it the fear of a reaction? And we can go into you know mindset around fear, but why do we not ask for what we want? And that's like one of the great questions I'm really trying to figure out because I don't do, I don't ask for what I want sometimes, you know, and 
I don't really know exactly. I'm going to call the therapist right now. She needs to jump on the line. So what are you like, for those questions? I mean, you don't want to be sitting in an interview room with a partner and asking about vacation time, right? Or maternity leave or anything else that can be found in an employee manual. That's when you talk to the HR person, when you have a confidential conversation with someone who's not going to run around and say to the partner, hey, she asked about maternity leave. Guess what? Men can ask about that too. It's called paternity leave and they should be asking or family leave or whatever it is because none of us are alone here. Someone's going to have to take some time off at some point. These things matter regardless of what parts you're walking around with. So I think part of it is we're not putting ourselves in the position to ask the right people the right questions. And I tell candidates that all the time in an interview. You are interviewing them every much as they're interviewing you. Like we spend more time at work with at work with the people we work with than we do with the people we chose to have in our lives not with our friends not with our spouses or anyone else it's with our coworkers. it is extremely important who those people are and what they do and how they treat people and so we need to be interviewing potential employers the same way that they interview us um and that means asking the right people the right questions um you know, if you're interviewing for a real estate job, they're not going to start asking you probate questions. But if you're interviewing for that job, shouldn't you be also be talking to the person who runs the back office stuff so you can understand what billing looks like, so you can understand how they treat employees when it comes to time off or other things? Um, you can't do that in the room with the partner. It's not the right place. It's not the right time. You don't want to eat up valuable interview time um, or other whatever the situation is. You don't want to eat up that valuable time for um, the substance, but that extra stuff matters too. And you just have to find the right person and time for those conversations. And that's part of the process. We just leave it out. So timing is important. I like that. Mm -hmm. What say you, Renata? I think, I mean, I think she hit it on the head. You know, um, it, it depends on the, you know, obviously sometimes you're you're not in a position where you can ask different people or, you know, because maybe it's just a solo firm or something smaller. But I think um, for, like for me personally, it's kind of funny to like, you know, because this personally was my experience recently, you know, having to negotiate and, and apply to jobs and firms and get to know them and see if they were going to be a right fit. Honestly, it really helped me to start off by kind of pretending like I was negotiating for someone else, so right? Smart. Like even just like, like, what would I ask for? And I was like, here are my qualifications. Here's why, because for me, a big, like, um, sort of uh, thing that I needed to get over for myself personally, but to a degree explain also and advocate for, um, was this gap that I had had. And I had, had not worked in a firm in many years. Um, I also was pivoting into a totally new area of law, um, and so I had to convince a firm that like, they should take a chance on me. I'm a, you know, a 17 year attorney, not really though, because I haven't, you know, so, so I really had to think about how was I going to advocate for myself? Why were the skills that I had and my past experiences really going to be like a benefit? I honestly believe I'm a better attorney now having not actually practiced law for the last 10 years, which is a weird thing to say, but but so, so, you know, I, I think, you know, I love Marissa's point, like, you know, don't just go into it with like, I have to prove something, but also looking at like, I, I mean, yes, there is a little bit of that, right? Like selling yourself and, and understanding that like you do have these skills, but like taking a step back and looking at like, okay, what are the things that I need that I want? How do my skills um, apply? Like, 
maybe pretend that you're advocating for someone else, at least initially to kind of just wrap your head around, you know, how to, how to position yourself, how to pitch yourself. Um, I think that can be really helpful. I love the idea of pretending like you're advocating for somebody else. I yeah. I mean, if we're so good, we're so good at it. And like, yes. like we said, <laughs> if this was your girlfriend, like pretend it's your girlfriend or your sister, you know, who's, I mean, gosh, I, you know, I coach so many clients. And then when I was going through it myself, I'm like, okay, stop it. What would you tell, you know, so-and-so, you know, that you would be giving her the opposite advice that's going to, you know, that, that you want, you're thinking about taking right now. So I think that is kind of similar to how I, you know, we have to be really careful with that negative self-talk because, you know, do, would we say certain things to our bestie, the things that we say to ourselves, right? And so by the same token, can you kind of step into the shoes of somebody else and pretend like you are um, advocating for somebody else? All day long, we can step into the shoes of others and advocate for them as as women and not and not do it for ourselves. And I think that just to piggyback on everybody's conversation and thoughts here, there, I feel like it, it's the reason we don't really advocate for ourselves as, as, as much and as fervently as we would for somebody else is kind of twofold. As I feel as women, we are much more self-reflective and um, soul-searching than men are. So what happens in the process of self-reflecting is that we are always thinking about our thoughts and and, and having thoughts and just kind of reflecting on them and how it impacts others and how it affects. And we are more into, are we being compassionate enough? We really are very mo much more in touch with the way we act and how our actions affect others. And we are very self-reflective. And in that process, not only do we self-reflect on what everybody else does and how they act, but we also reflect on how we're acting, how that's impacting others. And we think about like, it, it, we, we know our weaknesses. We're very in touch with what our strengths are and we are very in touch with what our weaknesses are. So when we go into a negotiation where we're asking for things for ourselves, we actually really know ourselves very well in the sense that we already know what we can offer and what we can't offer. Whereas I think men, they're much more, they're le they less think about that stuff. They know their strengths and they just lead with their strengths. And we tend to take into consideration the things that we are not as good at. And so we put that into the equation when we're negotiating. So we're thinking about what we can offer and we're very realistic about what we can offer this much, but you know, our, our we're gonna be limited on our time. We're not gonna be able to be at a core at eight o'clock. So I need to compromise here so that I can actually get this. So there's a piece of self-reflection I think women are so amazing at. And I, honestly, when it boils down to a conversation between men and women, how different they are and how they should be treated equally, but they are different, um, is that is that we are so much more powerful, really, than we think we are sometimes. And um, and that's what we need to lead with. We need to lead with this idea that we, even though sometimes we feel like maybe we're not being received in an equal way, we really are much more powerful than men when it comes to all these things, negotiating, being in the legal field. We're much more of planners, we strategic, all those things. So I think the self-reflection, we're really good at that. And that's why we hold back when we negotiate. The other piece is that sometimes we just want things really badly. Like we really want it really badly. And when we want something really badly, we allow ourselves to compromise. Not necessarily always a bad thing because we are doers rather than talkers 
I think gen- it's a generalization, but I feel like women like to show that they do, that they can do something great as opposed to talk about it. And so when we go into lead the negotiation, we're like, okay, well, I'll compromise, but I'm going to show you how great I am. And next year, when I come back from my review, I'm going to ask for everything because I'm going to show you everything that I've accomplished for you. So I think that we're very self-reflective that holds us back. And we're also more of doers than talkers. And that holds us back a little bit, all great qualities, but I feel like that becomes the consequences that we just tend to hold back at the beginning, you know? It's very perceptive. Great points. Mm -hmm. Great points, yeah. I definitely think that, I I look back when I first started practicing law um, and I got my first offer, I was just so thrilled and happy. And I almost felt like I wasn't deserving of the offer. And I didn't go back and negotiate anything. And then I found out later on, you know, oh, you know, Bill went back and negotiated. So he started out at 5,000 more than you did for, (laughs) for the same, you know, position. And, you know, it's interesting that women do resist um, the negotiating part. And I think that Christine makes some, some really valid points about why we are holding ourselves back from that. Yeah. And then, and then you think through it too much and you say, I'll prove to you in a year. And in that year, your male counterpart has taken home five grand more (laughs) because he just walked in and said, no, this is, if I'm going to do that job, you're going to pay me for it. I'm not going to prove to you. I can do it. You're hiring me because I can do it. And, and that's the pay gap. Yes. And I think a lot of this does, there are a lot of things that explain the pay gap, right? Um, I'm curious, Marissa, when it comes to the pay gap, what do you, what, like, what are you actually seeing um, kind of boots on the ground when it comes to the legal field? Um, you know, you can almost set big law aside from that because big okay. law is very, um, uh, like, by the book. Um, sure. They have numbers. Most of them are published and available. Um, And you don't start seeing um, variations in income for attorneys until past the first couple of years. Um, I would like, for big law attorneys, I would like to think um, that those raises and non-lockstep increases and promotions are less about gender and more about work, but probably not. Um, or at least they're probably equal factors to some degree, because I think that there are major differentiations as you get more and more experienced, but at least they're starting in the right place with big law in terms of your first year, this is what you're at. Your second year, this is what you're at. It's a lot difficult, more difficult when you get to smaller firms that, you know, are like, we could pay this much, you know, let's see who we like and how much we think they're worth because then all of the intangible factors come into determining what that person's salary should be. Um, Realistically, it could, it should break down to a very easy formula for any law firm anywhere. What's the bill rate? How much are you expecting them to bill? What's your overhead and what can you pay them out of it? Um, And generally it's a very easy formula. Um, And that's something, you know, when you're going through negotiations, it can be helpful to talk to an experienced recruiter because we'll know numbers like that. And we'll know what, what your number should be based on your bill rate and your 
um, your expected hours. So it can be a little bit easier if you know what those numbers should look like, or if you know to ask, what are you going to bill me at? What are you going to expect me to, to bill each year? Um, and it can be really easy to back yourself into a number and say, this should be the number. This is why it shouldn't be less. But if I go over expectations, it should be more in my bonus for the exact same reasons. Um, small firms don't tend to take that approach. They're like, oh, $60,000, that makes my belly hurt for a first year. Or, you know, I can't believe big law is paying 200. Can I get away with paying a hundred, you know, for someone reasonably de decent? Um, and it's, it's a lot, it's just a much grayer area. Um, and you get a lot of those other factors come into determining what the salary should be. Mm -hmm. um, and it's more of like a magic thing than it is an actual calculation. <laughs> Which it's like, it's literally, it's money in the door and it's money out the door. That's just, it's as simple as, as that when it comes to um, attorneys. So um, it should be easier, but it is not. It permits them to be very fluid, right? Mm -hmm. And very cryptic in, in, in salaries. So it mm -hmm. seems like it's really hard for us to, we're going into a firm to really negotiate a salary or kind of even know where to start from unless we are maybe working with um, a recruiter like you that can, that kind of knows the expectations and the internal workings of a particular firm. Or you just say to them in the interview, what's my bill rate going to be? And what's the expectation? Okay. You can very easily figure, you know, once you have those numbers, it's just as simple as, you know, 50, expecting 50 weeks a year at however many billable hours per week, you know, and basically breaking it into thirds. It's kind of a rule of for, for income for attorneys across the board, big law and otherwise, um, you should be making a third of what you build and what you've collected for the year, kind of regardless of your level. Um, Are you and asking us to do math, Marissa? Come on. A little, a little. <laughs> um, thank God for calculators. But no, but really, math. my salary's on map. <laughs> but you have to ask. You have to ask those questions. And it comes yeah. back to, again, you're interviewing them. Yeah. What are you going to bill me at? If I bring in a client, what can I quote them? Like, these things are important. Why aren't we asking them? Um, and I tend to find when I prep men versus women, men ask what their bill rate are going to be much more frequently than women do. And they I ask me, they don't that. ask the client, they ask me. And then if I don't know, I find out, but still they're asking a question that we're not even thinking to ask. Mm. Marissa, or Renata, what did you say? Oh, I was just gonna say, I love that you've said that because I think that also goes to the point of like, I think that we could be asking more questions, better questions yes. that we're also like, why wouldn't we ask that? It's like, Ooh, well, that's their business. Ooh, I shouldn't get, it. it's like, no, this is, you are part of that business. You are driving revenue. You're bringing in income. You're, you know, they're making money on you. So what, what kind of money is that? And because that is a factor then of like what you're going to ask for. So I love that you pointed that out. Yeah, me too. Me too. Awesome. So we've talked about a number, I think, really interesting things. Um, one thing is, of course, pretend like we're negotiating for someone else if we think that we may be having some challenges with self-advocacy because, you know, women are amazing advocates for others. Um, ask for what you want. And I think that with that, we really don't know. We're, we're still kind of working on why we're having challenges with asking for what we want, right? Like, I think that's one of those deep 
questions that it's going to take a while to really get to an answer to. So it's really easy for me to say, we'll just ask for what you want, but we still have that like, uh, you know, um, don't back down. That's another thing I took, took away from this, um, from Christine and her amazing, uh, wisdom and guidance that was handed down from you, from the partner that you worked with. I mean, you were so, so blessed to have had such a great mentor at such an early stage, right. Of your career. Um, and also leaning into leaning into our strength and power and leading with that and not being not being afraid of it. I think that I think that we're afraid of it, right? Like maybe we're afraid of the outcomes. And this kind of goes to what Renata was saying, like, what's the worst that can happen? Um, I think that we need that's a question we need to ask ourselves too, when we're looking at, you know, going to the negotiating table, whether it's for ourselves or someone else. Um, and we're getting ready to ask for something is like just asking ourselves, what is the worst that can happen here? Like we might get our feelings hurt. I mean, and Renata, you you know this as much as anyone, like no one hurts our feelings. Our sad feelings are because of our reaction to it our th- or our thoughts about what someone has said to us. So we can very easily, uh, you know, kind of control our reactions to maybe a rejection when we when we ask for something that we don't uh, get a positive response for how we react to it. Our, our feelings about it is really within our own power. Absolutely. I re- I so appreciate you all for being here and sharing not only your experience, but your wisdom that, um, you've, you know, gathered over the years. And I think the beauty of this particular conference room is that we came to the table with so many different experiences and journeys. And that's what, that's what makes this whole thing beautiful. Thank you all so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, Be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallybliss.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Hickson. See you next time.